you should choose your words carefully. Now there's a number of reasons for this. One is that if you choose your words very clearly and your intention very clearly, you're much less likely to be misinterpreted. And if somebody accuses you of saying something you didn't say, you can be clear in your mind as to what you said and what you meant. But there's another reason for choosing your words carefully, which is that when you choose your words carefully, you have to choose your concepts carefully. Now, one of the problems in modern times, and it gets back to a whole problem with our education system, is that people are very sloppy about language. For instance, kids often use the word mean to describe people. They may describe a teacher as being mean. Now, mean used to have a very specific meaning. It meant stingy. And now it's used just as a generic term to mean they don't like the teacher. So when they say the teacher's mean, do they mean the teacher is literally mean and doesn't give them out things? Does it mean that they're very difficult to communicate with, that they're simply a bit abrupt? Does it mean they're violent? Does it mean they're useless at their job? It could mean a lot of things. But because people don't think about their concepts, it means they are very open to manipulation. Now politicians, either consciously or unconsciously, make great use of this. And they will talk in terms which, of using general language. And because people don't go behind the general language, they see it as a, a generic term of abuse or of support. People nowadays take sides, they polarise themselves into teams and they see you as being part of that team or against that team and they do this by looking or by listening to the words you use and these are either words that their team or phrases that their team uses or it's phrases that the other team so they think uses and they put you into a box. But really these words may have absolutely no relationship to reality. Now of course when we get down to specifics here, we get down into very contentious areas because people get very attached to their words and the words have an emotion which is separate from the reality of the word. So in the past podcast, I've been talking about these two separate universes, the physical universe and this ephemeral plane. And when we look at words, when we listen to words, there's two components to them. There's the literal word, which has a literal meaning, and there's the emotion associated with the word. And the two can be very different and can even change over years. As an example, and of course we're getting into very contentious areas here, but blacks in America used to be called Negroes and then they were called blacks and they were called various other things and now are African Americans. And now I think the accepted term is people of colour. Now, if you were to 
I, I don't know, I don't live in America, I don't know how somebody would respond if you called them black, or there's another nasty word which goes back before that, which does have connotations because it goes back into the racist area. But even here, you see, gay people now refer to themselves as being queer, and at one time that was a derogatory term. This is how bullying goes on at school. They use derogatory words, and these words are given a meaning to the, by the person who, who receives them and upsets them emotionally. Now, one of the things we do in therapy is we teach the kids resilience and they can detach themselves from the emotion of the word and the word has no effect and the bully is just, you know, because a lot of bu bullying is verbal or it's done online and they find that the bullying has no effect because the kids just aren't bothered by it and they don't care about the words. When, as an, as an example, Donald Trump, I, I think he recently said of uh, two, two congresswomen, and he, or four of them, I think he said, go back to where you came from. Now, of course, if we took this as a literal meaning, I think two of them, I'm not quite sure of the details, it's not really important, two of them I think are actually born in America, so they could turn around and say, we went back to where we came from, we go back to America, thank you very much. And the other two could turn around and say, well, I've really got no wish to come out, go back to where I came from, which is why I came to America in the first place. But of course, this isn't what, nobody took it this way. Nobody took it as a literal uh, phrase to say, yes, return from where you came from. They took it as a derisory term and, an, and as a racist term. And of course, you know, Donald Trump played right into this. He's, there's two things he hates. One is political correctness and the other is the Democrats. And in one fell swoop, he attacked both. And um, he did it very successfully and to a certain extent undermined the people who were trying to attack him because... He wasn't bothered by the fact that they thought it was a racist term. He just said, no, I'm not being racist. I'm not taking sides here. I'm simply saying if we look at these words literally, they only have a meaning because of the emotional effect that we put on them. And this is, leads us to emotional manipulation and leads us into this polarisation where we see people as being for or against a particular cause that we take. Now because we don't teach children at an early age how to think, we only give them so-called facts and crammed into their mind as a substitute for real understanding, they are very susceptible to this kind of manipulation. They don't know how to step back from it. And we've got a whole generation that's easily manipulated and another generation, another aspect of that generation which goes out to manipulate them. People look at the so-called popularist parties and it's an interesting fact that if a party represents something that you don't like and it has an appeal, then this is simply called popularism. And um, if a party does something you do like um, and it has appeal, then you, you call that democracy. 
they're different facets of the same thing. I think George Orwell, who's a great writer and talked a lot about thinking skills, he talked about the word jackboot. You know, a jackboot, so what he was saying is simply a boot, and it's a boot that's when it's used by the Nazis becomes a, na a jackboot, but when it's used by other people, it's like for riding, it's simply a riding boot. And I remember seeing an interview with a, a journalist interviewing Donald Trump, and she referred to his henchmen, the people around him. Now, I'm pretty sure that if she was interviewing somebody she was more in favour of, like a Obama, she would have simply referred to them as his advisors. We put a slant on these words because which gives an emotional attachment and that emotional attachment takes us in a certain direction but it means that we distance ourselves from this analytical ability this logical ability to step back from it we are simply being manipulated and this isn't confined to either party or any particular cause it happens right the way across the board this emotional manipulation using words takes place in relationships. It's you, usually it's subconscious and sometimes it can be very conscious. So one person will use a particular word to belittle or, or denigrate uh, the, other, the other person. The solution to these issues is to go back to the literal interpretation of the word to divest it of its emotional attachment. And this gets you back to understanding what the person is really trying to say. And of course, often they're not clear in their mind of what they're trying to say. And all you do is show up their confusion. As I said, if these Congress women in America had simply taken what Donald Trump said quite literally, it would have completely undermined what he was trying to say because he did it for emotional purposes. But the, the problem was, was that in a way it suited them to have that emotional attachment because they could then just turn around and say he, he was racist and so on because of that emotional, uh, that, that emotion that they wanted to put into those words. It suited their purposes as well. So they're all playing the game. Now there are some words, a lot of words that are used nowadays that really only have the emotional component. They're really, if you try and look at the actual meaning behind it. So as an example, people talk about the sanctity of human life. So this is a term used predominantly by sort of skeptics and atheists to, to attack the idea of per capital punishment, give it a kind of religious importance, words like sanctity. Well, if you're going to talk about the sanctity of human life, how does this apply to self-defence, to killing people in self-defence? How does it apply to abortion? There's a lot of ways we could take that term. If you're against uh, capital punishment, okay, then why not simply say you're against capital punishment? You know, wrap it up in emotional terms to try and give it gravitas that it doesn't otherwise have. Uh, of course, religious people do this as well. 
you know they 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 wrap religion is filled the bible is filled with this gravitas and this way of putting things and sometimes we have to detach ourselves from that and get us back and say well what is this really saying and of course when you do that with the bible you actually find a lot of there's a lot of nonsense in there but there's a lot of very good practical points of view i remember reading about a Jewish, he was an academic, he became an academic, and he became an atheist, and he was brought up in a Jewish family. And um, he started to question his religion, as many people do. And he decided that on Yom Kippur, he was going to sit outside on the steps of the mosque and eat a ham sandwich. Now, of course, the, uh, as the people came to the, to the mosque in Yom Kippur and they saw him do this, it was they were shocked, absolutely appalled. Yom Kippur is a time of fasting and he was eating and he was eating ham. And he said, do you know, he said, I wasn't struck by lightning. Life went on as normal, he said, and um, I gave up my religion. I realised it was nonsense. Well, had he gone to a doctor and it may well have happened later on in his life and the doctor said look avoid this food and this food because they're not good for you and then what would he do if the doctor said well avoid greasy chips is he going to sit on the, the steps of a hospital eating greasy chips and say well the doctor's talking crap because I didn't go down with a heart attack we have to look at the what what's in these words and understand them and and as, as advice, well, in the case of the Bible, as advice tips. But because it's in the Bible, because people has it's got this religious connotation, people say, oh, well, if you don't follow these things, you're going to get struck by lightning or something like that. They've, they're not looking at the words. They're not looking at what's actually being said. I remember listening to an interview with Susan Blackmore, who's a a skeptic she, in her youth she had out of body experiences and instead of going with them and trying to examine them she went on the path of trying to debunk them and like a lot of people to cut herself off from that part of the mind that she wasn't able to accept with the rational thoughts and she did experiments on people who had out of body experiences and she put sensors in various parts of the brain to just look at the parts of the brain that were were highlighted, that were actually active when certain things happened. And in one particular instance, um, when they moved, came out of their body and they moved their leg, she saw the part of the brain that moved their leg light up. And she said, well, she said, this proves it's nonsense. And the interviewer said, well, why? And she said, well, she said, quite obviously, it's an out-of-body experience. You'd expect the religious part of the brain to light up. Now, it's a ridiculous assumption. It's based on absolute presuppositions. It's this idea that we're in a team and we either take one, we go one way, we go the other way. So from her skeptic's point of view, she decided that everything was either going to be religious or it was going to be scientific. And because it was out of body, it therefore went in this religious category. And therefore, we could dismiss it from any scientific point of view. It showed that the leg, part of the brain that moved the leg lit up, therefore put it into the scientific realm rather than the 
religious realm and therefore it was like a point to her side of the team. It's a ridiculous black and white way of thinking. This is how people get settled. And this is, this is true of religious people. It's true of sceptics, where people put their stake in the ground. And in many ways, we've gone back, and particularly on the internet, we've almost gone back to people with their pickaxes and their, uh, and their pikes going out and mob attacking people who they perceive as being on a different team. In one particular example, I remember reading about an attack that was made on a, a doctor in Wales who was a paediatrician because the ignorant people with their hose and their pickaxes thought that this was a paediophile. Now, why a paediophile would put a notice on their door calling themselves a, a paediatrician is, is, is beyond words, it's beyond even thought, but it shows how people, once they get into an emotional state, will dismiss any rationality. A fashionable cause at this moment is transgenderism and the idea that sexes aren't binary or genders aren't binary they have a you can be a sort of bit of this or a bit of that now I saw a, an online poll and it was asking whether you agreed with the idea that boys ought to be able to play with dolls and girls ought to be able to you know, do mechanics and things like this. And this was put out by a society promoting, you know, gay rights and transgenderism and so on. But, and if, if I had answered, no, I didn't do the poll, but if I had answered and said, yes, I think boys ought to be able to play with dolls and girls ought to be able to do a lot of things that, you know, previously were in the realm of boys they would have taken this as a point to them, I'll be on their team. But actually, it's not. It's the complete opposite. And one of the things we see now is that when boys are a bit feminine, maybe they play with dolls, maybe they're not the Mako man, and I remember when I was a kid, I certainly wasn't and they're not competitive, or when girls are what used to be called tomboys, and for some reason a lot of people don't like that phrase, maybe this is why, they say, oh no, no, you're, you're not really just a, 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 you know, a boy that likes playing with girls, you're actually a girl, and you're transgender, or if you're a girl that, you know, used to be called a tomboy, they say, no, no, you're not really a, a girl, you're really a transgender and you should be a boy. So in other words, although they're saying they promote the idea of sexes having this overlap, they actually go against it in practice. And this idea of, of putting th things in terms of a, a syndrome, a something which is built in, rather than as being a psychological problem, means that as a therapist, if somebody comes to me with issues to do with transgender and I start talking about the animus and the anima and so much of deep psychological issues, I could be accused of saying, no, you're trying to 
uh, treat something which is not a psychological problem and this is upsetting to the person and so on and so on even if the person there's voluntary even if the person's there voluntarily I actually had a friend of mine who was doing very good counseling work on a a girl that she was she had an abusive father and her father abused the mother in front of the daughter the daughter hated her father I think the mother finally left but the scars were still there and the daughter hated the idea that she was feminine she saw it as being weak she saw how her mother was subject to the to the father and she wanted to be strong she wanted to be a man like her father and he, he did therapy and just started getting down to this until the mother saw what was happening and then she said no no uh, we're not coming back to you we're going to take her to a, a gender reassignment therapist or whatever and it's very sad but this is the way things are going and it's because of this idea of a team if you science has gone out the window logic has gone out the window rationality and discussion has gone out the window and we just see ourselves in emotional terms as part of one team or another thank you for listening You can leave comments on my Podbeam page. You can email me, phil at braham.net. You can visit my website, podcasts.braham.net. And I hope to hear back from you. Thank you.